Let's turn together to 1 John chapter 3 this morning. First John chapter 3. Normally when we would start a new chapter, I would give you a, an overview of the entire chapter. I'm not going to do that today. We're going to just center our, our attention this morning on really the first three verses of this chapter. We're going to consider throughout this chapter, though, the work of Christ. And we'll take it verse by verse. But look with me at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read down through verse number 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The dominant thought of John here is focused and centered upon a certain and sure outcome. It is the certain and sure outcome of the salvation of those who are the sons of God. His mind is arrested with the manner in which the love of the Father has been bestowed. This word, behold, seems like such a simple word, but it is a word that proclaims an astonishment. It's a word that is not just, hey, look over here. It is an astonished expression. Behold the love of God that's been bestowed upon us. This goes beyond human comprehension. This supersedes any sort of astonishment that could be replicated in humanity. What John is clearly writing here in the inspiration of the Spirit is that the love of God the Father that has been accomplished through the work of the Son is going to certainly determine and is determined three things. What we are, what we shall be, and what we shall see. Notice, behold, it is the manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we will be able to see these things through the work of Christ. It is to have a certain and sure hope. Literally, he calls us, and those that are in Christ, sons. Children, we read a little bit about it in Galatians 4, adoption, adoption by God himself. We have been adopted into the family of God. This is an astonishing thought to think that there's this love of the Father that's been given to mere humanity, or in this case, children such as we. 
And yet, there are still things that we don't know. There are still things that we do not see. And yet, he gives us in these three verses that there are things that we do know and the things that we do know we should praise God for even this very moment. You know, sometimes we are tentative to pronounce and proclaim an outcome, a love for something until we see how it's going to all work out. But yet John says we know enough right now, even though there's still more to come, there's still more to see, we know enough right now that our response should be that we are most hopeful people and that we praise the God who's given us that hope. You see, John deals with the reality of what we are, first and foremost. The work of Christ, accomplished by the love of the Father, makes us what we are. It makes us what we are. Again, behold what manner of love, he says. Bestowed means to be given, to be placed upon, to be granted upon us. He doesn't mean the whole world. He doesn't mean everybody understands and knows this manner of love, but he says those that know this love, here's what you are, that we should be called the sons of God. Have you ever stopped to think upon what it means to actually be called the son of God? To actually be a son of God. He doesn't say that you will be the son of God someday. He says you presently are the children of God. How are we the children of God? We're children of God by the new birth. Remember, it says in John 1.12, with regard to Jesus, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Again, behold, be astonished, be placed in great wonder at it. Don't ever get to the place that you stop beholding and being astonished by the reality of the love that has been bestowed upon you, is what John has in mind here. Never cease to admire what God has done. Is it not the greatest thing that you've ever heard in the, in, the, in the entirety of your life that God calls you His Son? It should be. It should be the greatest astonishing truth that you are called by a perfectly holy and righteous God, one of His sons. Behold it. Wonder at it. Marvel at it. But notice he makes a clear distinction. Therefore the world knoweth us not. Now notice order is important here. Our humanity may have said that the verse should have said that we should be called the sons of God because it knew him not, but it talks about the world knows us not. The sons of God, it doesn't know us. Why doesn't the world know us? These peculiar people who have the manner, the love of the Father on them, who've had it bestowed upon them, the world doesn't know us. He gives us the answer because it knew him not. The world doesn't know the sons of God because they don't know he who is the son of God. They do not know Christ. They don't know him. 
But we do know him. Have you ever marveled at the fact that you even know an ounce of who Christ is? Have you marveled at the reality that you know a Christ that many in the world have no idea who he is? We live in such a world today that we think everybody knows who Christ is. Brethren, that is not true. He says the world knows him not. If they don't know Christ, they don't know the Father. If they don't know the Father, they don't know Christ. They don't know us because they don't know the Father and they don't know Christ. How do we know these things? Now again, the word behold suggests to see with the eyes. When, we, when John came and he said, behold, and he pointed to Christ and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold, look, here he is. It's a, it, it, it directs our eyes. Sometimes our eyes are not used to see and to look upon good things. Imagine how much your eyes have seen this week. It was not to your edification. Imagine how many things your eyes beheld that did nothing to help you. Imagine all the things your eyes saw that were impossible for you to avoid. But then also think about all the things your eyes saw that you intentionally viewed. This beholding, again, is an astonishment. Look at the love the Father has bestowed upon you. Look at it and keep looking and keep beholding. You say, maybe my eyes have not viewed good things this week. Well, let them view good things now. Let them view Christ. Let them view the truth of what John is writing here about our adoption. Let the adoption into the family of God amaze you. One of the great relationships in humanity is when a child is adopted by parents who take on that child and that child is not viewed as anything any different than their son or daughter. There aren't many more beautiful demonstrations of the love towards another than what you see in the adoption of a child. But even that does not compare to the love that is being demonstrated here in this passage. Adopted into the family of God, unworthy, and yet he says, behold what you are. You are a son. An unworthy adoption took place to such a blessed relationship. Notice that we should be called the sons of God is what it says. This manner of love, the Father, His love was placed upon us, bestowed upon us, and as a result of that love, we are now called the sons of God. Christ Jesus, of course, is the one here that the world did not know. As we are called the sons of God, we are called to be made into His likeness, our sanctification 
We are being conformed into the very image of God the Father's only begotten Son. Here's the very beginning of that likeness. The world does not know Him. How do we know the world did not know Him? Because they crucified Him. All you have to see to prove that the world did not know who this Savior was, was look to the cross. That's all the evidence you need to see that the world knew Him not. Because had they known Him, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And yet that's the very thing that they did. And if the world doesn't know Christ, then just as the passage says, the world doesn't know the sons of God either. So what's the world doing? The world is spending its time pouring out malice, hatred, sometimes even death upon those who are the sons of God. We prayed for a ministry in India today during our prayer meeting that's under persecution. Persecuted for being nothing more than people who are the sons and daughters of God who are proclaiming Christ is the only way, and yet the world hates them. Why? Because they don't know Christ. They are acting based upon what they know. They don't know Christ. But what a marvelous thing it is, what an amazing thought it is to think about that Christ, God the Father, condescended unto us. We who, Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, were the children of disobedience. We walked in the darkness. We were deserving of God's wrath. But now, instead of being vessels of wrath, we are now vessels of mercy. Do you know what it is to be a vessel of mercy? Do you know what it is to not have God's wrath, no more condemnation upon you, and you get the beautiful title of being the Son of God? The world cannot nor will ever satisfy you. As Spurgeon once said, the world can't satisfy us. We wanted something more. You see, this world is not what the child of God is living for. This world does not know the sons of God. This world does not know the Christ. It does not know the Father. And yet here we're called, behold, we are the sons of God. So we see, first of all, what we are. Verse 2, we see that the work of Christ, by the love of the Father, makes us what we shall be. Now notice he reiterates, beloved, that is a term of Christian endearment, if you will, likeness. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, confirms what he just said in verse 1, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't fully know what we shall be, but we know enough now to praise God for it. It's praising God even for what we don't know yet. 
It's praising God for what we don't exactly know what we shall be. Oh, theologians and pastors and preachers and evangelists have speculated for years and years and years about exactly what we shall be. John puts that to rest and says, we do not yet fully know what we shall be. Why? Because it hasn't appeared yet. It's pretty straightforward. But there's the promise of what we shall be. He's not just talking about what we will be in heaven or what we will be when we die, but right now in this very place, whatever station in life you are, whether in joy, whether in sorrow, whether in imperfections, whether in sin, he says right now we are the sons of God. That means no matter what you're going through right now, you are the son of God. And yet there's this vision he gives us that is meant to transform the way that we look and the way that we look towards God. You see, those that are the sons of God, because they see God, have an understanding of what God is and who God is. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read through verse 2. And three, because I want to bring this all the way around. Notice he says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, there's confidence, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So here's a little bit of a hint of what we know we shall be. Pure. Because that's what he is. So we don't fully know what we're going to be. We don't fully know what we shall be, but here's what we do know about it. We'll be pure. Now certainly that takes in the reality of we'll be without sin. Praise God for that. When we see no more sin in us, No more sinful thoughts, no more sinful actions, no more sinful attitudes, no more sinful words. Sin completely put away. When we see Christ, there is a connection here. We're going to see it. It says when we see Christ as He is, our purification itself will be complete. When we see Him, we will be pure. Don't we today beg for that day? I mean, the the thing that is so disturbing to us right now should be the presence of sin in our life and the fact that every day you you are struggling and battling against this sin every day. That should be your biggest concern in life right now. Another day, I have to battle the flesh. I have to battle sin. I got to battle the consequences of sin. Realize much of the sorrow in our life is the direct result of what sin has done and is doing to this world. No sin, there wouldn't be sorrow. Sin creates sorrow. It creates these troubles and these trials. John wants us to behold even what we aren't yet and see it as if it's already taken place. What will that day be like when we are pure? 
What are we doing when we look in that way, when we don't see the full completion of it? We're looking by faith. We're looking in faith that we are being every day more and more prepared to be able to see him as he is. That's our sanctification. Conformed into the image of God. We are being made like unto Christ. Here's an interesting observation. When Jesus Christ was here in bodily form, when he took on humanity without ever ceasing to be God, did it fully appear what he was? Did it fully appear to mankind what he shall be? No. They couldn't see all of it. Even the disciples could not see everything about who Jesus Christ is and was. If you would have walked with Jesus during his time on this earth, especially towards the end of his earthly ministry, he is what Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men. There was absolutely nothing in him that would make the world look at him and say, there's the beauty of God right there. They wouldn't see it. They didn't know him. No one would have guessed that this lowly carpenter would be the one who ultimately would judge the entire world. Who would make the entire world his footstool. It's in the very same thing that John says here, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't see it yet. There are still aspects of our adoption into the family of God as his sons and daughters that is still completely hidden from us. We don't see it all. And we don't know it all. And the Bible says we will not know it all until when? When he shall appear. And he will appear. And he will appear and then we will see it. He says, you have a certain hope of this that we will know. We know that when he shall appear, then he says, we shall be like him. This is a comforting passage. Some have said that if there was any passages of scripture that they could ever have read to them on their dying day, it would be from Romans chapter 8. And I want you to turn there, even if this is... Kadeen, thank you, Skylar. Even if you know this verse, and you know these, what he's saying here, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope 
For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered it up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all thanks? Paul writes about this hope, this hope that is not seen, but hope. We are being made into the image. We don't fully see what we shall be, but we know we shall be like him. Back in our text, thirdly, the work of Christ will make us see him as he is. The work of Christ will make us see him as he is. When he shall appear, that appearance, brethren, will be our vision of the glory of Christ. When he appears, we will have a vision, we will have a glorious picture of who he is. While we wait, we are being made like Christ progressively. This is a sequence, friends, of hope. What he's talking about here in these three verses is a sequence of what our hope is and why we should remain hopeful. First of all, what does it say? Jesus Christ shall appear. Brethren, that is our hope. He shall appear, and that's our great expectation. That's our certainty. The outcome is sure. Jesus Christ will appear. Notice he says we shall be like him for we shall see him. When he appears, not only is that our hope and our expectation, but we will see Jesus return. Have you ever stopped to think about the day that he comes again? Not in an impersonal hidden way, but that every eye shall see him. I love what it says in Acts 1.11, as Jesus was ascending, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? And I don't know what this phrase means to you, but I know what it means to me. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. The same Jesus. And as he appears, which is our hope and our expectation, we're promised that we will see him as he is. And thirdly, we shall be made like him. John's telling us there, there's something in just the very seeing of him that is going to purify us and purge us from all sin. 
See, none of you, including myself, have ever seen him with my human eyes. And yet when he comes, when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We'll be conformed perfectly into his image. What is that image? That image is pure without sin. You see, every time we looked to Christ and every time we look in the word, every time that's a further spiritual sight of who he is. You know, when you read the accounts in Scripture, it ought to transform the way you view and the way you see Christ. Looking at Him here, behold Him, it literally reminds us of what we are. It reminds us of what we're looking forward to, and it makes us long for the day when we will be like Him. Our great longing today, our great joy should be, and the great remedy for the sin-sick soul today is that one day I will see Him and I will be like Him. Sin no longer present. What an image. What a thought. We shall be like Him. In the very proportion to how our view of what our view of Christ is, we can make these suppositions. First of all, those who never saw him are not like him at all. The Bible says the world knew him not. Because why? They couldn't see him. Those who have seen him are in some measure like him. But there is a transforming power and an image that's coming when the actual of the soul sees him. We shall be like him. And I still cannot get over this, folks. We shall see him as he is. You could meditate on that for weeks and never get to the bottom of it. You see, these first two verses of chapter 3 demonstrate very clearly the eternal purpose of God towards man. As we read there in a few moments ago in Romans 8.29, the children of God, we enter into this family through faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, we display the likeness of our Father. Why? Because of our conformity to Christ, who is, the Bible says, the perfect image of the invisible God. And then finally, verse 3, every man that hath this hope in him, in Christ, does what? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. In the very nature of this hope, this certain outcome of being like Christ, this is meant to help us grow each and every day to become like him. What's it say we should be doing? Every man that has this hope of what we are, what we shall be, what we shall see, what does that man do? Purifies himself. Takes the steps to purify. Takes the steps and follows the example of Christ's purity. Times and seasons of discouragement, times and seasons of despair, times of doubt, will only make you darker. But the view of this hope, and I hope this is coming across today, 
The view of this hope that you will in one day be like Christ will help you in your day-to-day walk of purifying yourself. You see, it's the vision of Christ that motivates us to be pure. It's It's not the commands of man that makes us desire purity. It's our view of who Christ is that ought to be the reason why we want to purify ourselves because of the vision we have of Christ. Have faith in God. One of Satan's greatest deceptions and greatest tricks. And again, we do a, sadly, we do a fine job discouraging ourselves on our own. But one of the great deceptions and the great tricks of Satan himself is to do everything he can to discourage you. And the way he does it is to get you to get your eyes off of Christ. And the moment you get your eyes off of Christ, the minute discouragement will have you in its grip. We have got to continue to look and behold and be astonished at this love as Christians. The great object of our hope, the great object of our hope is not just we get to go to heaven when we die. The great object of hope in which John is talking about here is purity. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but not everybody wants to be pure. And yet that's our great hope is that I'll be without sin. The great object that we look for, we expect to be like Christ. We expect to be like Christ, but as we've been warned today, not only in our studies in 1 John, but even as we started looking in Colossians this morning, if we expect to be like Christ in purity, it begins by putting away those sinful things, putting off those things that should not be there, putting on all manner of righteousness that would grow in the likeness of Christ. Our great desire today should be that we would be pure as he is pure. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Let me have you turn over quickly to Titus chapter 2 and look at verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2. Look at, look at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You see, our great motivation for living this way comes because of that blessed hope That speaks about there in verse 13. The glorious appearing 
of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our source of motivation. You see, John seems to be asking this question, and I pose this question, and then we'll be through. Very simply today, is your hope in Jesus Christ today? Is your hope in Jesus Christ today? Now, if you recall, chapter 2 ended, again, chapter divisions, I understand why they're put there, but sometimes they break our train of thought. And look what the last two verses of 1 John 2 say. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Today is your hope in Jesus Christ. John tells us if your hope is in Christ, then it will show. If we will be like Christ when he shall appear, we should even today, we should be purifying ourselves and imitating Christ in this life. Even though we're not sinless, even though we still are going to struggle with it, John shows us here, because of this hope, purify yourself. Again, think about what John's admitting to. We're so afraid sometimes to admit what we don't know. Let me just be honest with you. I've, God's had to teach me a lot in this area that it's okay to give the answer. I don't know. Because there are things you don't know. There are things the Bible has not said. Here's one of them. John seems to completely admit there are things that we will not know until he appears. And you think about how many things that could encompass, but that's a pretty important one. We're going to be like him, but we're not going to know what it is until he appears. John admits, I don't know what exactly we will be, but until that day, the challenge, the exhortation is for us to imitate Christ. Which Christ do we imitate? The Christ that the world wants us to think is God or the Christ of the Bible? The Christ of the Bible. Really, John, 1 John 3, verse 3, really is the conclusion of the whole argument. If you have this hope, you have this hope of his return, his appearance. Purify yourself, even as he is pure. Brethren, what we are, what we shall be, and what we shall see, that is our hope. Let's pray together.